Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Good, Bad, and Ugly of Business. I'm your host, Katrin Becker. In this podcast, we love to interview people from all different walks of life, from corporate executives to entrepreneurs, real estate investors, people who are entertainers, everyone in between, because I believe that everyone has a story to tell and there's a learning in every one of those stories. Because while a smart person learns from their mistakes, a genius learns from the mistakes of others. And we can take those learnings and those mistakes and we can either avoid them completely or we can fail faster. So today is my honor to bring Jill Stapleton all the way from Australia to learn what she has learned because she's had an incredible career where she has been a CEO of a huge company, um, working from home business. She's learned how to be an entrepreneur, and then she learned how to live for herself and what she has learned in that and how she's inspiring millions of women all over the world and what inspires her. So Jill, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Catherine. It's an absolute pleasure. Oh my goodness. We, I, and I always tell my audience ahead of time that like, I need to record the first part where we're just talking. Cause I always <laughs> seem to reference it. Cause we have so much fun in like the pre-recording part, but your story is, is so great in how you found running at the age of 47, which most people don't start these new fitness journeys then. And, <laughs> and especially I feel like a runner is a runner is a runner. Like people who know that they're runners usually always run. Whereas other people either like love it or hate it. You know, like I've never understood the runner's high, even when I, I played soccer for years and years and I hated every minute of the running part. <laughs> so let's go back a little bit before the running piece and talk a little bit of your, um, becoming a CEO. I think you were the first female CEO for, for the company direct selling Australia. Is that correct? Yes, I was. Yes, that was, and that came about from a lifelong passion of of empowering women to be the best that they can be. And I was very privileged to do that role for the last sort of six or seven years, where I could actually influence um, an industry that's been um, incredibly good to me. Um, and it's an industry that's very, you know, misread and misunderstood. And it gave me an opportunity to really influence at a very high level in government here in Australia, um, people's thinking around entrepreneurialism and, mm. and also direct selling. So yeah, it was a privilege to do that role. So how was it becoming the first woman to do that? Because what I have seen um, in my experience with direct selling and, um, you know, sometimes they're known as the name as multi-level marketing, um, uh, it seems like there's a lot of women that are in this. Of course, I've only been seeing this for maybe the last five years when I personally was involved as well. So I'm curious with your history, like, has it always been predominantly women or does it really depend on what it is you're selling on what that looks oh, like? Yeah, no, the, the stats would tell you both um, domestically here in Australia and globally, because I work very much with the international body. It's, it's hugely dominated. The selling component uh, the building a business component is hugely dominated by women. It's it's 75 to 80% of the cohort um, that build a business. But interestingly enough, and one of the reasons I was very excited to get the role as CEO of the professional body was most the the stats are completely reversed when you come to running the corporate side of the businesses. Completely oh, isn't reversed. that the way though? <laughs> Go have, figure. Have you so, seen the yeah. new Barbie movie? Yes. Yes. Right. Where she walks into the boardroom and it's all men running the Barbie division of Mattel. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think it would be it's not a disservice to um, when I when I took the role, it was it was commonly known. Our association was commonly known as the Boys Club. 
Mm. And um, so the challenge was changing, uh, was changing that internally and externally, changing the perception of what we did uh, and how we best served our community. So it was a huge challenge. And I'll never forget the day I took the role, a fantastic, another professional speaker and a really good friend of mine, Keith Abraham, sent me a, a newsletter and he said, never try to walk in somebody's shoes, try to walk beside them. Mm. And, and that was my mantra that the the gentleman before me who'd run the association had done a fantastic job on the legal and government side but I decided I couldn't do him I couldn't be him I couldn't do the role as him so I walked beside him and took what he'd learned you know what I could learn from him but I did it in my unique female entrepreneurial way and because I'd been in the shoes of an entrepreneur for many many years built a very successful home-based business in the UK I was able to relate to that eight percent of female sellers so I had to do it differently I couldn't yeah. do it the same way and and isn't that the scary thing when you're standing kind of at that ledge of this is the way it's always been done but you know deep down in your soul that there's that's not totally aligned for you and your journey and your path and having the courage to say, this was great. And my way is great too. Yeah. It's like jumping off a waterfall and inventing the water on your way down. You just have to leap and know in your, as long as you, you know, you're doing it, you're doing the right thing for the right reasons and you're being authentic. And I made mistakes in that first year, every, you know, all the time, but uh, as we said in the pre-record, you have to just fail fast. I went, oh, maybe that's not so good. And I was, I was never, I never afraid to admit that I'd done it wrong because I knew I had the industry experience. I had the passion for entrepreneurs. I knew what they needed. And um, but yeah, I failed a few times. So <laughs> I, I mean, you know. that's what we do. You have to learn, right? I mean, I think of you know children. If um, when the baby's starting to crawl and starting to walk, the first time they fall, they're like, well this walking thing. If it's not for me. Right? Not for me. <laughs> and of course yeah. you can't, you can't run until you can walk. And, uh, you know, let's segue yeah. into, um, into all of a sudden at the age of, you know, 46, 47 thinking I'm going to become a runner. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I thought I was going to become a runner, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> I, I went into running because I'd been, I moved to Australia in the year 2000 with a 10 and a 12 year old and my husband and I dedicated the next few years to ensuring life here in Australia was going to work. We both had busy careers and wanted to make sure the children were really settled and in Australia every Saturday is taken up with school sport. Who knew you drove around all day Saturday driving your kids to different sports <laughs> and I suddenly reached a point where they didn't need me as much. Um, and I realized I was missing my social giving. Um, I'd helped out a lot in my village in the UK. I'd been on several committees. I realized that part of me was missing. Am I doing something for somebody else, that bigger purpose? And um, I took, I went to this running club because they were going to teach me to run if I paid or if I raised money to help cancer research. And that appealed mm. to me. I went, oh, I can do something for me, but I can also do good for others. And so for three months, I just signed up for a three-month program to train to run. At that time, it was a 9K run. I felt like I was going to train to climb Everest. It was so beyond what I thought I could do. Um, 
And even even when I'd done it three months later, I didn't call myself a runner. It took ages to call <laughs> myself a runner. And even now I look in the mirror and go, is that me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like a runner, but I am a runner. <laughs> well, and and you've graduated from doing, you know, the, the 9K, the 10K into marathons. Yeah, who knew? Um, and that's because I met such a community. Um, and that's why entrepreneurialism, direct selling for me, it's the passion of community. I met this community of women, particularly, and some of the guys who were just such fun to hang out with. And, you know, we did the 10K race and Helen, my girlfriend, and I talk about her in my book, we got this medal around our neck and we felt like world champions. We were on a podium. We we're like, yes, we can do anything. And from there on in, we sort of, um, we did this journey together of running and decided that, yeah, we can run a marathon. Sure. Who can't? So yeah, at the age of 49, I um, I crossed the line of Paris marathon. Because if you can only ever do one, you go do Paris, you know? Like, right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and because I really did think I would only ever do one. And um, so we decided it was going to be one. We were both workaholics. And so we thought if we were going to do one, it had to be fully committed. So we jumped in, we booked flights for ourselves and our husband. So then, you know, we'd invested a lot of money. And um, so we had to invest the time to get ready. And, and that for me is about the, is the goal setting, the mindset of sometimes I have to do a bigger goal because the smaller one I might give up on. But when it's, you know, when I've mm. thrown money in it and booked the flights and my husband's like, what? It's <laughs> like, yeah. Surprise. Um, Surprise, I go to Paris. Um, and so for me, it's always been about shooting for rockets. As an entrepreneur, you always have to shoot higher than you think you can go. Um, because then if you shoot higher, you'll always get this goal. But then you may just, you know, shoot shoot for the moon. You'll end up in yeah. the stars. You know, it's always been my way of doing it. And that's how I've built businesses. Well, I like to think of it as having like the big vision. You know, what's that? why that you're going for. Because when you have that why locked in, you can overcome any sort of inertia that, you know, holds you back. I like to call it the inertia of comfort um, that prevents you from moving forward because you have that big why. And I think so many times people get really locked into the 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 what they're doing or the how that they're doing it, mm -hmm. that they lose that why piece of, you know, what that goal is. Like for you, it was going mm -hmm. to Paris, but you could have easily gone to you know, the Boston Marathon, which is another. Uh, which I uh, did. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why not now, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that. So I, I love that, um, you know, setting those those big, scary goals and doing it anyway and, and mm. facing that fear. I mean, you must have had moments where it was like, I don't think I can do this. Or did you never and just were like, oh, nope, I'm doing it. Oh, do I look like a marathon runner? No. Um, I had many moments like that. You know, a lot of it was mindset. And I mean, I often attribute my uh, success at running and I have been successful in running. In in my eyes, I'm never going to break world records, but um, I've completed some iconic, all of the iconic marathons around the world, particularly the ones in America. But it's all about mindset, the whole training, the 15, 20 weeks of training. Every time I finish a training run, I see myself on the finish line. I saw myself crossing the finish line in Central Park of New York. I saw myself in Boston crossing the iconic finishing line there. And 
direct selling taught me that. They taught me that that whole personal development. You've got to literally ooze belief. Um, and, and you need that, especially in a marathon. You know, when you hit that, that wall is real. They talk about the wall in running a marathon. It's real. Yeah. And um, and that's when you have to, it's, you know, it's a mental thing, not a physical thing. People go, I don't know how you run 42. You know, I think I probably run around 30 before. And it, that's in um, kilometers. That's in kilometers, yeah. <laughs> not miles. I'll quickly say. But it's that, <laughs> it's around the 20 mile mark for your audience that, it's nothing to do with the physical. It's all mindset. It's all mindset. You've seen yourself crossing that line. You know you can do it. And it literally then becomes mind over matter. Well, and the thing that's come up a lot for me recently is there was something that po- popped up on social media where it was it was an image of, of a woman um, like s- sitting on someone's shoulders at a rock concert. And there were two bald guys behind her. And so the placement of their heads made it look like her butt... <laughs> was was bare and large and very, very much there. And it's really got me thinking on how much our mind plays tricks on us. Like yes. our mind is our biggest strength and also our biggest weakness. weakness. And if we can't think and imagine ourselves being there, the likelihood that we'll get there is so low. Mm. There's, yeah. there's definitely a correlation um, to that and being able to overcome that wall because our mind is saying we can't do this yet. Mm you know, people who have done it and completed marathons and you know, it's possible. So I think there's a big thing there between possibility and belief. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think a lot of the training I've done in work, both um, in, in all of my jobs and, you know, I started off as a teacher and you have to learn how to overcome some of these barriers and running particularly has taught me that you just never know what's going to happen. You have to literally be ready for anything. Like when you walk into a classroom of 30 children, you never know what's going to happen for the next <laughs> hour. But um, I think for me, in, in every marathon I've run, and it will it's 12 to date, something different has happened hmm. in every marathon. Something iconic, something that, you know, people think that running is about training to run the distance. But every marathon that I've completed has had a different event in it so you can't train for that you can't plan for that and it's like life you can't plan for it none of us planned for the last few years none of us plan for these things but you do have to build that mindset that resilience to yeah I've got this I'm not sure how but I can do this you know I was running Boston in 2013 when the bomb went off now I can't plan for that are you serious for that yeah I was 700 meters from the 700 meters from the finish line in Boston. Oh my gosh. And it was such a humbling privilege. Now, you know, I talk about it in my book, but it was scary. Trust me, it was scary because you said about your mind playing tricks on you. We had no idea what was going on. Mm. As a runner, you didn't know what had happened. Yeah. And so much happened that day. And it's, you know, my husband and um, David, Helen's husband, were at the finish line. We thought they were at the finish line. Then we heard there was a bomb at the finish line. And we're like, it's not about us. It's about them. This whole mind game thing. And everybody was fine. It was a very happy ending. We didn't finish the marathon, um, obviously. Um, And at the time, that was all we were worried about. And then suddenly you go, hang on a minute. (laughs) Get a hold of yourself. This is not about you. This is about... And but, you know, you deal with it, you you then go, okay, you know, this is way bigger than me just finishing and getting a medal in my hand. 
This is way bigger than that. And the privilege of being there on that day led to us being invited back to run the invited, going back to do it all over again next year. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, that was a that was a huge, you know, to dig deep, to go back, to do it. But we had to do it for the good of the Boston community, because Boston were really worried nobody would ever return. Mm. Who does, you know, that was their biggest fear. And so we had to overcome all of those and we had to run past the place where we'd stopped. And it was such a privilege mm. to to want to participate in that iconic um, event for, you know, both in 2013 and 14. But but the the way it set me up for the last 10 years of my life has been an absolute privilege. You know, once I've done that, I'm like, there's nothing I can't do if I choose yeah. to do it. It was amazing, amazing privilege. I always think that there's there's pearls in every situation. I mean, that's how nice. that's they they they're they're there if you look for them. Um, I I know and and the the benefit and privilege I've had to speak with so many people and you know sometimes we talk about COVID and how that impacted their business and how they pivoted and and a lot of people COVID was the sort of crystallizing event that made them realize they wanted to do something different with their life, whether it was to leave that corporate job and to, you know, try that entrepreneur journey. It, that's my story too. You know, it was, it was just a moment of, of pause, which I don't think we give ourselves enough pause. And I love how you mentioned, um, you know, when you started taking the running journey was in this moment when your children are a bit older, they're more independent. They don't need you as much. And I think, uh, for a lot of people and women in particular, that's a moment where we sit and we look at our lives and it's like, what, it, what, what am I doing all this for? You know, what, what is this for now? You know, you, it's, you've got the life you're looking for and it's just, it's just an interesting thing that happens. And I know you're very passionate about, um, about women in particular and, and showing them that it's possible to do things when, you know, 50 years ago, at 45, your life is over, right? <laughs> you're oh, you're done. I'm 63 and I'm just about to run my next marathon. I'm, I'm really passionate, Catherine, that in those, in those decisive years, and I think 40s is decisive years, that you make a decision to oxygen mask on yourself, that you do mm -hmm. look after yourself. And I, I mean, I'm very passionate about people, particularly women moving more, you know, um, because if you don't move more in your 40s and 50s, it's all over by the time you're 60. And I see women in my community who haven't moved in the last 20 years. It's very difficult to get started. You've got to keep moving and it doesn't have to be running. Um, again, I have a friend who said to me, you're so lucky to find running. You're so passionate about it. And more recently, she's found pickleball, as everybody seems to be finding pickleball and Except she's become completely <laughs> obsessed with pickleball it doesn't matter what it is it's to find something that you love and keeps you active because then you'll find community as well you'll find you know friendships and different people and but if you keep moving um as we said earlier your health is your wealth without that um, and it's very difficult. I see women now in their 60s who are trying to move and good on them, but it's much harder. So in your 40s, yeah. it's really important to make that conscious decision to look after yourself, having nurtured and often given a lot of time to families and your career. Um, I think it's really important that you find that niche, find yourself and find something you really, really are passionate. It could be dancing, Zumba. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Uh, it doesn't matter. And I love that you brought up the, 
the imagery of putting the oxygen mask on because it's something that we all say, we all know it, but yet they wouldn't have to keep telling us that on the plane if it weren't our natural inclination to take care of the others first. So I know that that's a huge journey for me to say, no, wait, I need to have a boundary here and be able to stick to that boundary and be able to put myself first. It's, it's not easy. And I think the side note on that is when you, you know, you think you're being selfish, you know, some of the times I'd go out running and I'd go, Oh, you know, my husband's left now and I've gone for a couple of hours and, you know, impact on the children. But what I hadn't realized until now, and it's easy in retrospect is the role modeling I've taught my teenagers who are now adults and in their thirties and thriving what they were seeing monkey see monkey do. They Mm -hmm. were seeing me put in boundaries. They were seeing me leave my desk and go out running. They were, and they became, well, they came, became involved in my journey. They ran my 10th marathon with me. Who'd have thought oh, two, beautiful. Lazy, two lazy teenagers would get <laughs> off their butts and run? Um, they weren't teenagers by then. But you don't realize that in putting your oxygen mask on yourself, you are actually teaching them how to do it too, that you are raising better adults. Mm. Gosh, that's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Well, I mean, you, you've got your 13th marathon um, happening soon. And... What's next? I mean, is it still going to be marathons or is there something else on the horizon? Is there, is there another mountain that you're looking to climb in your life? It's a really good question. And everybody, I say, this could be my last, I think 13th lucky last is going to be Sydney. It's where my running career started and I will always run. Um, and I run lots of other events, but I, I feel now I'm 63. I'm having a gap year this year and I'm trying all sorts of new things. I want to learn to ocean swim. Um, I I can swim, but I can't swim in the ocean. And so I feel that's a really big battle for me to overcome the fear. I want to learn to sea kayak. I think that looks fun. I live in a community where lots of people are out on the water and I want to write another book. So I've got lots of things I want to do. I'm just planning, you know, which one comes first. Um, But I think it's so important to, to keep, and I'm, I, I moved during COVID, another one of these people who moved out of the big city into a country area. I'm loving my country area, my community, and and I'm looking at how I can give back to my local community as well. And so I've become involved in this tennis. I've taken up tennis this year. Love it. Um, and I'm very humbled by the tennis players who are all way, way older than me, can move around that court. They can position the ball. I'm like, Where's this been all my life? So yeah, I've got, lo- I've got lots of things I want to do alongside, you know, picking up a new career and speaking and emceeing events for people and inspiring women to to move more. So yeah, lots, lots going on. Oh, that's so good. Uh, my business coach was in Wimbledon recently um, with John oh. McEnroe. He got to play with him and brought several clients to play as well, which is just amazing. And I, he was saying that, you know, John is, you know, up in his age, but man, he can still really, really play. And it was, it was just inspiring to see. So it's, there's definitely something to that for sure. 
Well, I'll tell you a quick story about Wendy. I've met her locally. She's a swimmer. I met her a few years ago and we have a swimming event. It's about a 2K race and it is a race once a year. And I remember seeing her just after the race and she was very despondent. She was around 79 and she said, I, I came second and it's just not good enough. Next year, I'm going to win. <laughs> and I went, whoa. And I said, so Wendy, what are you going to do to in order to ensure you win? And she said, oh, I'm just moving up in age groups. There'll be nobody left by then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in, I'm in for the long haul. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah. I, there was something we talked about earlier that I want to go back to. And it was the idea of getting that, that medal and feeling that sort of champion thing. And I think that that's something that shouldn't be overlooked because I feel, um, you know, into the nineties with kids in sport that it was, you know, the participation medal became out. Right. And so it became now that it's almost poo pooed, like, Oh, everyone gets a participation medal. And I feel like it's something different between when there's like a winner or loser. I think the race you're racing yourself, right? So if you participated and complete it, that completion medal is something so mentally powerful. And it makes me think of ways that companies can incorporate that more into into their culture, because having that sort of recognition doesn't have to necessarily be a major thing, um, but just something small that people can really latch onto and, and make it into something. I, I totally agree. I think it's really important. Um, and again, I mean, most of my career has been in direct selling. It's that, that praise and, um, it, there's a, there's an old saying, a Mary Kay saying women will, love praise and recognition. I'm not quite saying, hang on. What do women love more than sex and money? And that's praise and recognition. Mm. And and it's, you know, as I cross the finish line, I mean, I've got my medal. This this is my most proud. I sit with it on my desk because there's very few women actually have this medal because it's the world majors. But I have it, I keep it on my desk because to me, it's my personal recognition. But I've used that in corporate life, in culture, in you know, a simple praise on a Zoom when, you know, especially through COVID of praising your team for showing up at 9.30 every morning and turning their cameras on and being ready to face the day, that instant praise and recognition. Um, I, I'll never forget the day I was stood at the Sydney Opera House and that first medal rent around my neck. I'd only run 9Ks. I do that in my sleep now. But <laughs> when I when I first did it, it was unbelievable so i i've used that very much in my corporate world of recognizing you recognize the little things the things that other people don't see yeah. um it's critical it's critical because then people know their worth they know they're valued mm. and there is a different way between how most men and how most women see those things and and so I think it I think it was probably such a great thing for your company to have you as the executive director, as the CEO, mm. to make those shifts um and, and and incorporating that a little bit more because I don't think men think of it the same way. They don't realize how much it impacts us. They don't realize how much. I mean, in our industry, perhaps more so than others, but you know, I adopted quite a few. I mean, people look back now and go, Oh wow, I had no idea. Each day I would just ring one of our CEOs up and say, just Ring and see how you're doing. It took me five, 10 minutes, handwritten notes. Mm. I spent the whole of COVID handwritten notes, posting, you know, mailing out just lots of little postcards and things like that. It's the little things um, 
when people know how much you value them, you know, what, what's that other saying? That people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. It's just show it. And it's different ways of showing how you care. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's exactly, as you said, it's the things that people don't know that you notice mm-hmm. and that it's like, oh, wow. Like I feel seen and yeah. yeah, I mean, what an incredible thing that we struggle with as humans of feeling seen and feeling heard mm-hmm. and how good that feels to be recognized and to, um, because I think there's so much with authenticity where we don't even know who we really are. Mm-hmm. And being able to show up in that way. Yeah. And you just don't know what's going on in people's lives. And so that being seen and recognizing somebody, even in a coffee shop, you know, make it a point to just say good morning to somebody. You you know, you perhaps go out on a walk every day and you see the same people every day. But do you smile and say hello? In the big cities, they don't. In our community, everybody says hello to everybody. You know, you you can't get back in your home. And it's, it's those things that make you feel so special. Yeah. And we we, we live out, know. we live out in the country too. We live out in a, in a rural area and it's, it's one big lane uh, that all the families live on. So when you're driving on the lane, you know, that it's a dead end, that it's only people that live there. So we always wave. <laughs> it was just the other day we waved to someone, we were walking on the street, we waved and they didn't wave back. And we we're like, oh, I can't believe they didn't wave. <laughs> but that doesn't happen in cities and it doesn't happen in all communities. And I think don't take that for granted. And maybe you can start that in your community is just waving to people or smiling to people or making a difference. And um, I've really noticed that post-COVID, the the impact of those little things, you know, baking a cake for somebody. I'm a baker. I love to make cakes and I don't want to eat them. So I bake them and give them away. And um, just those things, you know, bowl of soup to somebody. It's the old-fashioned ways of showing you care that you're thinking of somebody. Um and I, I say I've done that with all my corporate teams and it's amazing. I'm still in touch with all of them. You know, love people who've been who worked for me 15 years ago, still call me up. And and I think that's the difference between being a female and a male. So you can't be friends with the people you work mm. with. You can't. Of course you can. Of course you can if you do it in the right way. The boundaries. Right. right. And uh, I'm a firm believer that you can you can be if you like friends. It's a, it's a, a very generic term. But if you care enough about people. Um, it doesn't matter. Mm. Well, my final question for you is how do you define success for you? Oh, wow. That's a good question for me. It's being the best person I can be. You Mm. know, if I am the best person I can be, I know I'm good to others. When I'm not taking care of myself, when I'm not in my lane, I'm not great at being a CEO, a mom, a wife. But when I'm in my lane and I know that I'm following my true passion, I'm so much better in all those other roles. Mm. Um, and I can inspire others. But when I'm not inspiring myself, how can I inspire others? Oh, that's so, so good. I love that. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share? Um, and how can people reach you to work out with you? Um I said work out with you. I meant work, work with out. you, but hey, maybe they want to start running with That's you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm certainly not a running coach. I can't teach people how to do that. Oh, listen, I, I just really want to inspire anybody out there. If you're in your 40s and 50s, start moving. That's what I that's the message I really is move, you know, find something you're passionate about that's active, that raises your heartbeat, that you have fun doing and, and makes you a better person. And yeah, 
you can find me on um, Instagram. I'm, um, I have an Instagram for my book called Running in Circles 42, and it's 42 because it's 42 kilometres. That's how far you have to run. Um, you can find the book on run, Running in Circles is on Amazon, so Jill Stapleton, and Google me and send me an email, Jill, jill.stapleton at gmail.com. Um, there's any number of ways I'm sure you'll find me. <laughs> And I will put all of those in the show notes as well, but I just love to give everybody the options for no matter which way they like to, you know, accumulate, uh, simulate information. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being here. I know I feel inspired and I really appreciate you sharing your stories with all of us. Catherine, I really appreciate it. And I hope the ripple effect of what you and I are doing will reach to, to many, many people out there and um, wishing all the entrepreneurs a successful journey. It's not an easy gig. But I tell you what, it's so rewarding. Mm, thank you so much. And to the listeners, thank you so much for being here. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share it with your audience. And if you want more great content like this, please reach out. Is there something you're curious about? Is it a profession, an industry, a specific person? And I'll see if I can get them on the show. Until next time, everyone, take care.